Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. We are a small church located in West Lafayette, Indiana. This podcast is our recorded Sunday morning teachings. Join us as we learn to love, grow, and share what God has given us. Anyway, um, hi, I'm Tom. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church. My wife is out of town, and so I feel frazzled. I feel like my brain isn't engaging with stuff well today. So if I say anything that seems weird to you, just give me a little grace, all right? Come talk to me about it later. And if it's something that the Bible says that seems weird to you, then go talk to the other pastors about it today. Sound good? We're continuing our series in 1 Peter today. We're getting through the end of chapter 3. All right, not yet. We're in beginning chapter 3. We'll finish chapter 3 next week. And we're kind of finishing a section where Peter is talking about how to relate to different people of authority or roles in this world around us. Um, Usually I come and I'm all prepared. I bring my tablet. It's got all my notes on it. And my wife apparently took the tablet with her to Iowa. So we're going analog today. So... I don't know if any of you even know what that means anymore, you young people. It's like digital except without electricity. (laughs) What? That's not what it is? Well, I was a geology major, so just deal with it. Anyways, I printed my notes and I realized I can't read half of them, so we're going to go with it today. So we're going to continue in 1 Peter. The last few weeks, we've been talking through how to relate to others. We can go to the first slide here real quick. This is kind of our outline we've been working off of for the book of 1 Peter. We started in August, and we're going to go through December talking about 1 Peter. What we started was just the introduction of who was Peter writing this to. He was writing it to the ancient world where um, Turkey, modern-day Turkey is, to churches and Christians that were scattered across that area living in these lands where people weren't Jewish. They were Gentile. They were the nations that lived there. Um, And he was writing them to remind them of how to walk in suffering as people persecuted them in this world. And it wasn't a time of heavy persecution. It was a time where just people around them, there was a pressure against Christians for being Christians. And he was trying to help them navigate what do you do when the world around you doesn't like what you stand for and what you believe? How do you respond to that like Christ would want you to? So he walks through, he starts off with a reminder of who they are and their great salvation they have in Jesus. That they, because Jesus died for them, they are born again and they have a hope and an inheritance that will last forever. And then reminds them that because Jesus suffered, they will suffer too. And that is a good thing because it proves their faith. But then he goes one step further. He says, because you're saved, now act like it. I call you to holiness. Start being like Jesus in this world. Don't live like everybody else, but purify yourself as he is pure and walk like he wants you to walk in this world. And that's kind of where we pick up now is with those two things in mind, he says, because you're already saved and because you're seeking to live like God wants you to live, people around you may not like it. They might not like what you bring, And so he begins to help them understand, so as you do that, how do you negotiate the trouble you're going to face in this world as you want to stand for what Christ tells you to stand for? So we've got 
I got a huge chunk today. Somehow or another, when we divvied up these verses, they, we decided that I should teach 17 verses today, which is quite a lot, and it's kind of two different concepts altogether. And I'm like, why would they do this to me? And then I realized I did this to me, and so I have to suffer through my consequences. So anyways, why don't we pray? Just ask God to be helping me with my words, helping you with your ears and your heart to hear, just that as we look at God's word, he would be speaking to us what each one of us needs to hear. Uh, we would walk away encouraged, challenged, and built up. God, we just thank you, Lord, just as we are singing, Lord. We need your help. God, we come and we confess, Lord, without you, we're a mess. God, I know I am. God, I need you every day, and I'm thankful that you looked down on us from heaven, and you knew we needed help and a Savior, and you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die and to rise again, God, that we might be born again and be given hope and a future, that you might give us your spirit to be our helper as we try to navigate this world. God, we just praise you and thank you for that. Thank you, too, that you've given us your word, that we can look to it to hear and understand your heart. God, you didn't just leave us um, without any idea of what to do, but you've told us the important things we need to know. I just pray that today you'd help me to speak and help us understand your word the way that you desire. I just pray that each and every one of us would calm our hearts, set aside our distractions today, and just be able to meet you here in your word and be encouraged with what it has to say. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So two weeks ago, we talked about living in this world and having your conduct be honorable to those around you. And we talked about how that relates, I guess that was three weeks ago now that I think about it, that how do you relate to governmental authorities and how to submit to them. Now that is what Christ calls us to, is to submit to the governmental authorities around us. Two weeks ago, OJ taught on submitting to masters or superiors in your life, your boss, your professor, different people like that, and how God calls us to submit to them. And today we're continuing on with our section of submitting wives to husbands, and then also all of us together. And so my topic today is, all of you submit. I don't know how, what you guys think of when you think of the word submit. Usually when I think of the word submit, it's kind of a dirty word in our culture. I think about submission and uh, like the fourth thing I think of, because there's other things. Uh, I, think, I don't know if you guys have ever watched MMA, Mixed Martial Arts, that it's like boxing, only you can like really hurt each other. <laughs> you can take someone to the ground, you can pin them and hold them down to the point where they tap out. They give up and say, I'm out, and they call that a submission. You have overpowered your opponent to the point where if you go any further, you will actually damage them. And they give up. They say, I'm done, you win. Submission. And a lot of ways in our culture, when we use the word submission, we think of concepts like that, of one person overpowering someone else. When we think about a submissive person, usually you think of someone who is cowering, who is afraid, who isn't willing to step out because they might get in trouble or get hurt. You think of someone who's kind of given up to try to um, bring themselves forward. But as we talk about the Bible, when we use the word submit or submission, it's a beautiful word. And I think we're going to dig into that a little bit here. And I'm hoping that we can draw that out here. So why don't we turn to the Bible here? I've got my ESV Bible. I'm going to read out of 
today. We're going to do 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 17. I'm going to go ahead and read through it all. We'll have it on the screen as well if you didn't bring your Bibles. Um, and then hopefully we'll walk through it verse by verse and just take a look at what is it that Peter is trying to help us learn. Now we are talking about husbands and wives today. Some of us are married, just a few of us. A lot of you are younger and you've never been married. Some of you might get married someday. Some of you may never get married. But I think no matter what place we're in, we can all learn God's heart here. And I think it's important for us to understand. So let's go ahead and read. It's 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husband. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Next page. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That is our section today. And there is a lot in there. Per normal, I could probably teach on this section for like 10 weeks and not get to the bottom of it. God's word is so rich. There's so much in there. Today, we're going to try to fly through it's going to be kind of a surface-level look at it in some ways, but I hope that you guys are encouraged all the same. Um, so here is kind of where we're at in our little section of how to live as exiles in this world. First, we're encouraged to keep our conduct honorable in everything we do. And there's four different ways that Peter then shares. As you think about living an honorable life amongst those who do not believe in Jesus— 
Here are four sets of relationships or roles, you might say, where we should live honorably. The first one was to honorably live to authorities by submitting to the governmental authorities. That was several weeks ago. Next was masters, superiors. This week, it's spouses. And then finally, we're also going to touch on the end. It's kind of a capstone for those three. It's how do you relate to everybody? So here we go. Let's dig into what it, does this say to spouses. We're going to look at three different main sections here. What does it say to wives? What does it say to husbands? And finally, what does it say to everybody, all of us? So here we go. Let's reread this section on wives. By the way, these sections here on wives and husbands contain some of the less popular verses in the Bible relating to gender and marriage. In a lot of ways, what this says, a lot of our culture looks at and says, that's wrong. This is not okay, and this is not good. I would argue that everything that's here is very good. It's very good, and that most people who don't like it have never seen a good example of what it should look like. Because I think when God tells us something, if we do it, we will be blessed. If we don't do it, we do it poorly, it's a disaster. Isn't that true for almost everything in life? If we do what God says, it's going to be good. If we don't do what God said, it might be fun for a minute, but in the long run, it's going to be a mess. So let's take a look here at verse 1 and 2 again. Speaking to wives, Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Real quick. We don't talk about marriage a lot in this church because, surprise, until recently we didn't have that many married people. We're growing. I think there's, what, maybe like three new young couples in the last two years. When did you guys get married? Is it two years already? Okay, you guys are going on past two years. And so we're like, boy, we should probably teach on this. Just because we're a campus church doesn't mean that we can't instruct people in marriage. Real quick, what does the Bible say about marriage? It says a lot. If you look at the scriptures, it instructs us quite a lot about what a husband and a wife, a man and a woman coming together and in a covenant committing to each other forever. What does that mean and why is it there? If you guys have never studied that and you don't know what the Bible says about it, please come talk to me or one to Fred or my dad afterwards. We'd love to talk to you more. But I always go to Ephesians chapter 5 as one of the clearest places where the Bible helps us understand what marriage is for. At the beginning of the section, the verse before, it's talking about what living a good Christian life looks like. If you're saved, how should you live? The last verse of that section says that we are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That men and women, old, younger, everyone in the church who knows Christ, there is a mutual submission to each other. There's not this hierarchy of I have the power and you do not. But there's a humble attitude toward each and every one of us. And he starts off his section saying that. And then in Ephesians, he continues on and talks about wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The same way you would submit to Jesus, submit to your husbands. And then down that section a little bit later, he says, husbands, love your wife the way Christ loves the church, laying down his life for them. It's really interesting. He pairs them together. 
wives submitting, and husbands laying down their lives. And he equates it to the way Jesus interacts with us, his church. He came, laid down his life, gave everything for us. And that when those two things work together, this level of submission and love is beautiful. It works amazingly well. In our society today, we think about submission as a matter of power. But I think in the Bible, submission is a matter of honor, of protection, of help. And in marriage, that is the way it's laid out here. Submission is a good thing when you're submitting to someone who really cares about you. So in our section here, that's the context I think that Peter is writing to. However, he takes it another step here. He says, wives, there's this idea, wives, all wives be subject to your husbands, even if some do not obey the word even if they are not carrying their end of the bargain and doing things the way Christ tells us to do them. Peter is saying, in this world, even when things aren't ideal, hold up your end of following Christ. You might wonder, when it says likewise, like what? It's always a good question. When I was in... uh, what did you call it when you were in high school? You're going to church stuff. Uh, youth group, that's the word. It's going to be a long morning, guys. I'm sorry. Youth group. I remember them saying when you're reading the Bible and you see a therefore, you need to ask what the therefore is there for. But it was the same idea here. It's like when it says therefore, it's hearkening back to an earlier section. Here, we're starting off, it says, likewise, wives, submit. He's talking about the section from last week or two weeks ago, that O.J. spoke on. Likewise, servants, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That's what he says to masters. Then he says, likewise, it's the same thing. Likewise, look back to what I told you about just like Christ suffered, and you should follow in his footsteps, and it's a gracious thing when you put your eyes on the Lord and do what is right and yet still suffer for it. Wives, do the same thing. If you're in a relationship, submit to your husband is what it says. Let's look at the next section here. 1 Peter 3, 3-4 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding and the putting on of gold jewelry, they're the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. He's reminding these wives, don't worry about what's going on, on the outside. If you're living your life for Christ, look at what matters. God looks on the inside. Make sure what's going on in your heart that you prioritize that. I love this verse, that God sees a gentle and quiet spirit as very precious. It's very precious to God. And I don't think this has to do with personality, that you need to be a demure person. I know a lot of people, women, men, who God has made very boisterous and loud and fun, and they are not quiet people. But what I think Peter is writing here is less about our personality and more about 
our peace. What's going on inside of you? Are you anxious? Are you worried? Are you afraid? Are you nagging? Are you arrogant in your heart? Those things cause trouble, but if we're following Christ and we have a gentle and quiet spirit on the inside, that makes all the difference. And why do we do this? Let's look at the next section here. It's because... Actually, I messed that up. Can we go back a slide to one and two? We do this because God cares about the husbands. If your husband is not following Christ, this could either mean they've never accepted Christ, that you're married to someone who is an unbeliever, or there's someone who's following Christ, but they're deliberately disobeying the word. This word for um, does not obey, it's active present tense. What it means is that they have seen and heard what the word says and decided, no, I am not going to do that. That's what the, the verb tense there is saying. What it says is, wives, if you have a quiet and gentle spirit and you submit to your husbands, the result is they may be won by the conduct. They may look at your life and be persuaded I'm doing it wrong. I need to change. That God's heart here isn't just for our own happiness, it's to help others know Jesus Christ. And that's what he's writing this whole section. In fact, the whole section is about when other people look at your lives, they'll see you and they'll marvel and go, what is different about you? And with wives here, this is a difficult situation, but they can choose to submit to their husbands because of what the promises God has here for them. All right, let's go to verses 5 and 6 now, please, Noodle. And he encourages them because it's not just do this. He gives them the example. He says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, a gentle and quiet spirit submitting to their husbands. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. I think that's such an interesting thing that he chooses Sarah as the example of submission and a quiet and gentle spirit. I don't know if you guys have ever gone back to Genesis and read the stories about Sarah. When I look at her life, she seems a little bit like a mess. She's married to Abraham. God calls Abraham to go to this promised land. He gets up, leaves everything he knows, and lives like a nomad in these foreign lands. God makes him a promise. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And yet Abraham has no sons, and Sarah is barren. She cannot bear children. She's 90 years old. And God says, I'm going to give you a son. And she laughs. She just doesn't even believe it. She's like, I, I can't believe that that's ever going to happen. But in the midst of this conversation, it's the only place that the Bible records her calling Abraham Lord, saying, and it was a term of respect is kind of what it is, a term of subservience or submission, the term Lord. But she, even though in her mind, in her heart, she didn't get it and she didn't necessarily believe it was going to happen, the Bible calls her a righteous woman because she chose to follow Abraham. She chose to do what he said throughout their whole life. You look at all these stories. There's a point where Abraham, he's in a foreign nation. 
and he doesn't want to get killed because she's so beautiful. She's like 90, and she's so beautiful, he's afraid they're going to kill him and take her as his wife. She submits, and he says, tell him you're my sister, and she does, and gets taken away. I was uh, talking to Jenny before she left, and she told me, never do that to me. That's the worst thing. I don't know how she put up with that. If we went to like another city, and you were afraid they were going to kill me, just let them, or they're going to kill you, just let them kill you, okay? That's like, don't, don't do this like, oh, she's my sister, and let me get stolen. That would feel horrible. I feel so disrespected and dishonored by that. I'm not saying what Abraham did was right. In fact, I think it was pretty poor judgment on his part. But what I do think is the Bible is holding up Sarah as an example of even when the husband is stupid, the wife can still choose to follow because their eyes are on Jesus. They're on the Lord. As I was talking to Jenny about this, she thought what was really interesting is that you look at this section, and if you look at it for earth and here and now, it cannot make a lot of sense if you're submitting to someone that is not trustworthy. But the reality is that there is a bigger picture here beyond your own happiness and comfort. The things of your own life, if your goal in life is to be happy and comfortable, following Jesus makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. If your goal, though, is to be happy and comfortable for eternity, it makes all the sense. And when God tells us to follow him and submit, when he says, submit to the government, submit to your masters, submit to your spouse, really what he's saying is, by submitting to them, you are submitting to me. And that when we submit to these situations that aren't ideal, really what we're doing is we are putting our hope in God and what he says. And that when we do that, he helps us. That's his encouragement for wives. Look to the Lord and fulfill what God calls you to, even when it's hard. Live a life where your spirit isn't nagging, where it isn't um, trying to change your husband by your actions in a forceful way. But take a step back and relate to them the way Jesus would relate to them. But that's not just it. So wives get a lot there. Husbands aren't off the hook either. Let's take a look at the husband's verse. They get one verse, but I think this verse is really important. It says, likewise, just like wives submit, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I think this is really interesting. And one of the... The uh, stereotypical joke is this is one of the most under, like, impossible verses for a man to obey in the scriptures. Because, you know, I'm trying to live with my wife, and every day I'm just like, I have no idea what you're thinking or what's going on right now. I just don't get it. You're just like a whole other creature. Just her way of processing things and thinking through things I don't understand. And maybe that's why it's in the scripture. The husbands, as we think of the context of marriage, where a husband should act like Christ, lay down his life daily for his wife. It says that we should do this to live with our wives in an understanding way. The word understanding here is actually the same word 
that the Greeks would use for science. It's gnoskos and knowledge. And so it says, study your wife like it's a science. See if you can figure it out. But what I think he's saying here is, as a husband, if a husband is to lead like Christ leads, lay down his life like Christ lays down, we don't do it in a vacuum. We don't do it independent or as a person who's in authority over someone else. We humble ourselves. We get down and we seek as we lead to understand what does my wife need? What is she saying? What is her heart? And how do we do this? Why do we do it? It's to honor the woman. That I think that is one of the most interesting things it says here. That this relationship of submission and leadership is a relationship of honor. It's not one of power. This world wants us to think that submission is all about power, and that is not how it works. Those who submit themselves in God's world are honored by God and by the people they're submitting to. The governmental authorities, when someone submits to the government, it says that the government exists to punish wrongdoers and praise the good, honor the good. The same thing's true here in marriage. A proper marriage, a husband's goal is to honor God and honor his wife in the way he asks and relates and leads. A lot of people hate this word weaker vessel. There's a lot of connotations to that, but that word was not meant to be derogatory. I think there's a lot of practical ways. Women are generally weaker than men. I'm not going to get into all the details, but when I was thinking about this, that, you know, thistles are stronger than a lot of the better flowers in my garden. Yes, there are thistles in my garden right now, right? Those other flowers are weaker. They're easier to damage. However, they're a lot more valuable. They're a lot better. The thistle's there. It's growing. It's got flowers, and they're kind of ugly, right? Just because something is weaker doesn't make it worse. In fact, a lot of times, weaker things, especially in context here, deserve more honor. They deserve better care. Husbands are called to honor their wives, to understand them, and lay down their lives in leadership to help their wives follow the Lord. And it says that when we don't do that, that the husband's prayers are hindered. Isn't that interesting? That the way we relate to our wives can impact our relationship with God. But big picture, I think what Peter's trying to help the wives and the husband see is even if the other side of the relationship doesn't hold up their end of the bargain, doesn't excuse you from obeying God yourself. In fact, my wife brought up a story, and I thought it was really interesting. The story of Ananias and Sapphira. It's in the book of Acts. At the beginning of the church, everyone is so filled with God and the Holy Spirit that they start selling everything they have and giving it to the church so that the church can take care of people's needs. It was very poor at people at that time. And Ananias and Sapphira were a husband and a wife that owned land, and they sold a piece of property and decided to give some of the money to the church. But what they decided together was that they would give some of the money, but say it's all of the money. Because they want, I don't, doesn't specify why, but likely because they wanted people to think better of them. The man comes and gives the money to Peter, and Peter says, 
Ananias, why have you decided to lie to the Holy Spirit? And I know that basically he says, I know that you sold it for such and such an amount, and you're only bringing part of it, and you're lying to God. And the man is so convicted, he falls over dead. He just dies because of how bad that is. A few hours later, the wife comes in, and the same thing happens. Peter says, hey, Sapphira, did you guys sell the land for this amount? And she says, yes. And he says, why did you agree to lie to the Holy Spirit? She also dies. And what I thought was interesting about that story is the man and the wife together decided to walk in sin and what was wrong, and each of them was held accountable for it. In a relationship, we, if you're a wife or a husband or a man or anyone, and you're under an authority, and that authority tells you or leads you to do something that's wrong, that is something you yourself will be accountable for. That each of us has to choose to do what's right before God. So we're just got a little bit of time here to do the rest of these verses. We're just going to fly through them real quick. But the big picture here is wives submit to your husbands. Husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. Fulfill your role even if the other person is not doing what they should. And now finally, let's look at these last verses. These are addressed to all of us. And I believe he's speaking specifically to Christians in the church. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Peter moves back to a broader view of everybody. He's like, now all of you, the way you live honorably in this world is you have these qualities toward each other. Unity of mind, thinking the same, choosing to do the hard work of being unified. And I don't think he's saying, I'm not saying you guys need to be unified with me. I'm saying we need to be unified with Jesus, and we aren't. That's just the way of the world. That's the way of the church is none of us are very unified in mind when we start really talking about issues. Peter says, if you want to honor God in this world, seek to be unified in mind. Have sympathy. When you see someone suffering, join with them in their suffering. Have brotherly love where you go out of your way to be devoted to one another, to care for one another. Have a tender heart, emotions and a compassion that's willing to be hurt in your care for other people. And a humble mind, a mind that doesn't think it's way better than everybody else that's willing to humble itself and submit itself to other people and listen. I think this is really interesting. This is what the church is called to. Think about it. If every one of us was living this way, what kind of light would we shine? Earlier this week, I was challenged in trying to decide, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to be sympathetic and have a tender heart that can be moved by God? Um, Fred's wife has been at home. She has an illness right now that she's suffering through, and Fred had jury duty, and um, I think last week she put a prayer request in our group me saying, hey, this is going on. We could really use some prayer. And the thought went to my mind is like, I wonder if they could use some help too. And I got out my phone, and I was going to text them. I was like, hey, do you guys need any help? I think it was Tuesday 
Fred had jury duty, Penny had a doctor's appointment. It wasn't looking very rosy. And I'm like, you know, I'm kind of busy. I'd rather just not. Maybe, maybe I'll like see if someone else wants to go help them. You know, I'm always so tired. I don't know that I really want to lay down my life to go serve anybody today. And I think God kicked my butt a little. I was like, come on, Tom. If you're not going to do, who else is going to do it? So I did. I texted them, and they really appreciated it. Turned out they didn't need any help. They thought they did, and Fred ended up getting off early. But it was a real blessing to them. But it just struck me how much of a battle it is in our hearts and minds to actually do what God says, and that there's a choice involved for all of us. Are we going to choose to allow ourselves to have a tender heart? Are we going to choose brotherly love? Are we going to choose a humble mind? And then Peter continues, he tells them, when someone does something wrong to you, don't pay them back wrong. Choose to walk in these humble ways toward them. Let's skip to the second to last slide, Noodle. And now this is kind of the summary of what his whole section has been about. He says, now, oh, that's the last slide, isn't it? Thank you. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I love this. It's like, if you're doing good, who's going to come against you? Who's going to hurt you? Everybody loves it when we're doing good things, right? When we're loving people and blessing people. But then he changes his wordage a little bit. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, if you're doing what is right and you suffer for it, you will be blessed. I think Peter's big point he's getting at here is we have a choice in this world. Are we going to stand for what's right? Are we going to stand on God and his word even when our friends, our family, our neighbors, our government, our spouse doesn't like it? Are we going to stand for what's right but doing it in a way that is gentle and respectful? I feel like so often people think they're right and they're belligerent, angry, and very passionate about it. Passion's another code word for angry in a lot of the world, right? And it turns people off. Peter's saying, stand for what is good. Do what is good. Stand for what is right. You will be blessed. Don't have any fear of what they're going to do or be troubled because we have our eyes and we have put Christ as Lord of our hearts. I don't know if you guys have ever had anyone ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Has anyone ever looked at your life and thought, wow, I, I want to know, why do you believe what you believe? This has happened to me maybe only once in my whole life. This was back in college, and I was not ready. I was very outspoken about being a Christian at this school. It was a geology camp. It was six weeks in the Wyoming desert. It was awesome. And as you can expect, in geology, there's not a lot of Christians that go to geology school. There were a few, but most of them were atheists or unbelievers. Some of them were really antagonistic toward me. 
and would tease me relentlessly about stuff. But about five weeks in, one of the girls there, we were having a campfire out in the desert. I'm really tired. I'm kind of a little discouraged. And she sits down right next to me and says, okay, Tom, that's it. Tell me why you believe this stuff. I want to know why do you believe that God would create the world when there's so much evidence against it? And I'm just like, I, I do not want to talk right now. And I'm like, oh, that's a great question. Maybe we could set up a time like Sunday where we could get together and talk about it. And she goes, oh, no. No, we're going to talk about it right now. I'm like, oh, man. And I fumbled my way through it. And I was not ready. And I don't know if I was a great witness for Christ in my answers. But I was unprepared, but I think I was able to do it with gentleness and respect, not demeaning, not putting her down or her beliefs, but trying to explain what I believe. And I think she respected me for it. She, as far as I know, she never came to know the Lord, but I don't think she bullied me anymore after that. It was really interesting to see that. It says that when we're able to respond to people with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, that they will be put to shame for slandering us. And so here's our last verse for the day. I want to leave you guys with this. This is Peter's point that he's been trying to drive home for the last few weeks. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. He's wanting us to remember that there's a lot of evil in this world. People suffer for doing evil all the time. But for us as Christians, we should choose to suffer while doing good. That we're going to do the good and we're going to face the consequences for it by living our lives the way God calls us to live it in this world. So whatever you do, do what is good. Let God take care of the results. Why don't we bow our heads and pray? We're going to have our last song. Well, God, just thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have shown us how to live in this world, Lord. And I know that there's so much in your word that is um, hard to understand at times. It's hard for us to grapple with how does this apply to our lives, Lord. I just pray that as we go through these verses here, Lord, we've talked about how wives and husbands should relate, how all of us should relate to this world around us. I pray that you'd be helping us to choose your way, that you'd be helping us to be a light to this world, just like you were a light when you came. Lord, we just want to submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more about Grace Church, visit our website, wlgrace.org. See you next week.